continue our discussion on the 60s in the first one jordan dominated the discussion with mediocre picks um so uh maybe this this yeah. one <laughs> okay gloves are coming off no that's all right uh no they weren't mediocre they were they were ab- slightly above mediocre um uh, no, we're going to continue our discussion on 60s music. The idea, kind of similar to our 50s pod, is uh, we're preserving, we're picking, each of us are picking 10 songs from the 60s that kind of represent that decade. But the idea is these are the pieces that we would preserve, um, I guess, for a, like a future a future civilization to have to kind of piece together the important parts from the 60s. So it gets challenging because by the time you get into the 60s, there's a ton of really good music. To limit it to 10 is really difficult. Uh, kind of a torturous uh, process to do because there's songs that really hurt my heart that I just can't include in the in my top 10, so we all make honorable mention lists as well. Uh, we made it through 64 in the first one, and uh, now we're going to go 65 to completion. Anybody want to add anything? You got it. You said it all. Let's go. Let's Boom. get into the songs. All right, 1965. Let's just come out swinging. Anybody have a 65? I do. Oh, I do have one. Sorry. After you. Yep. Okay. So um, we've already had one Bob Dylan song uh, Brandon picked. Oh, we should introduce ourselves, by the way, on the on the mic. Uh, we got... Brandon Arnold. I've got... We've got Jordan Harmon. <laughs> Is that my name? <laughs> And then Jason Johnson, uh, coming to you from uh, from the the home studio here, the home office in um, in my dad's garage, Provo, Utah. <laughs> oh, is that um, the name of the podcast? In my dad's garage. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. I think it is. We're still trying to figure that out. In my um, dad's garage. Oh yeah, let the music be your master. Um, Episode three, I think we're on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so nineteen sixty five. So we already had uh, a Bob Dylan entry from sixty three mm-hmm. or four sixty three. Mm-hmm. Brandon picked mm-hmm. um, "Blown in the Wind." Great song. It's not in my top three Dylan songs of the sixties, but I love it. So my Dylan pick. I'm for for uh, for this one. Nineteen sixty five. It's kind of his. What, what would be considered his opus, the one that's most, uh, I think, famously associated with him. Um, it's, it's 1965 Bob Dylan, like a Rolling Stone. It's the one that kind of brings everything together. There's Bob Dylan songs that speak to me even more. I made the statement last time, you know, like part of my struggle with the Beatles is that I don't feel like they're a fair representation of like my life or how I feel, but Dylan had it, it like I can always find a Dylan song that no matter how I feel that day, it's like, Oh yeah, that, that guy, that guy gets it. Um, so this one, like a Rolling Stone, it's kind of his, I think best combination of, of lyrical content, performance and production. He's, this is a transitional moment where he's pushing away from his traditional folk, um, model to the point that he was starting to take some heat critically for it. And a lot of people think this was kind of his response, but this song captures frustration and, um, 
anger in, in kind of a unique way. Uh, it spawned the name of a band. It spawned the name of a magazine. Um, hmm, there's the, the, the it's pretty influential ramifications yeah. are. Yeah. Are, go. Let's hear this tune. So fine, do the bumps of dime in your prime. Then you, people call, say, Beware, doll, you're bound to fall. You thought they were all I'm kidding you. You used to laugh about everybody that was hanging out. So loud Now you don't Seem so proud About having to be Scrounging Your next This one, I love. So this one you can look at kind of as a companion piece with a song called "Positively Fourth Street," where it's like, like Angry Dylan is my favorite Dylan, where he's looking at the world, just asking them that, "How does it feel? How do you like it now?" Um, and he puts everything into it. Um, so, kind of side note on this song. Professionally, I work with. Um, kids that would be considered as as troubled kids and that can be difficult work and when i first started people that work in this field it, it's not uncommon to kind of get discouraged and realize that your formal training doesn't fully prepare you for the actual work in the field and i remember my first week um work and i had a kid that was really challenging me wouldn't respond to anything that i was saying was just sitting there in silence and um a lyric from this song popped into my brain as I realized I can't I don't know that I can do anything conventional I'm gonna kind of step out of bounds a little bit and try something different and the lyric was uh, when you ain't got nothing you got nothing to lose classic Dylan lyric in that moment had a had a kind of a critical change of approach and I started listening to music with this kid kind of as a as a an intervention for behavior and we had this great breakthrough and that became kind of this um this model for me working with difficult populations using music as the center of it kind of cool story but it all started with this like light bulb moment where a dylan lyric popped into my head yeah. and said throw everything out you know and try something different yeah so i have a huge personal connection to it but um critically as well like this would be the one if you did a google search for best bob dylan songs nine out of ten lists are going to have this one at, at mm -hmm. the top for a reason it just it captures everything really really kind of perfect that's awesome. Go man. ahead, mm -hmm. throw, throw your dot, darts. Make fun of it. No, I, I I love it. And you you know we we're in the same a related profession, working with people struggling. And and we've talked every time we talk about this stuff. You ask me, are you using music? With and and I am every single week. Like it's it's a huge way to and and on myself when I'm driving home from work. Yeah. And it's like music is is my therapist. You know, and it's interesting that you're talking about earlier. Like you can't really relate to the Beatles music. 
um, and you can relate to this, it's interesting because a lot of the music I listen to that is like that for me is definitely in the lineage of Bob Dylan. Yeah. It's the Bonnie Prince Billy. It's mm-hmm. the it's the Bill Callahan, the the singer songwriter kind of stuff. That's a little that's n- not necessarily poppy. Right. Feel good. That's the stuff I'm listening to home on the way home from work. That's kind of like okay, telling this honest story. Yeah. Yep. And just connecting with some some like nuanced complex emotions and things like that um great song i'm excited to dive in more to to bob dylan i i love the parts of the songs that i can understand (laughs) (laughs) there we go there he comes comes out swinging that's what you wanted (laughs) even here like i've heard this song lots of times i have no idea what he says the first verse i've never looked it up so that's one of the things i love this is where he's like He's sounding a lot like the parodies of yeah. I don't know what he said. <laughs> it's funny. It's, so it's funny that you mentioned that because I was going to say one of the things that I love here is this is where you start to get there's this very unique cadence that's a Bob Dylan cadence where there's like a rhythm to his voice and a slight drawl um, and he's packing so much in there. Um, maybe a different discussion someday will be um, my my suggestion that like modern hip-hop has a direct connection to dylan because lyrically he's packing so much in there and he's following these rhyming schemes but he's putting extra syllables in sometimes because of his cadence in in a really unique way that Hmm. was i think pretty non-traditional that that really does feel similar to to modern the way modern hip-hop delivers its message uh through through kind of rhyme and cleverness and packing really dense uh, lyrical content into into well, short kinda, spaces. It's a little bit more about the lyrics than like how poppy or catchy or earworm it right. is. It's more about the poetry. And that's how a lot of MC, great MCs are. Yeah. It's like, I'll make it fit kind of thing. And they make it fit and he makes it fit. But it doesn't necessarily, it's not the most catchy or poppy top 40 right. thing necessarily. Cool. Good pick. <laughs> what I could understand. All right. This guy. Do you have a 1965? <laughs> I do. B.A. Baracus? I do. I'm going to throw you guys a curveball on this one. Oh, Glenn Gould part two. <laughs> it's not It's not Glenn Gould. More, more <laughs> closer to that. I enjoyed Glenn Gould. It's closer to that than, yeah. I've got a curveball or two coming up, so. Okay. Right. Uh, I'm just going to play the song and uh, see what you guys think. Convince me, convince Sound me of, of what music. we're preserving. Okay. Sound of music. Uh, what What do you guys know about this song? Uh, the, the sound of music. It's It's connected to uh, to the the sound of music. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of the guy's name. I keep coming up with James Coburn, but it's not James. Christopher Coburn. Plummer. Christopher Plummer. Okay. Love Christopher Plummer as an actor. I don't think that's actually his voice. It sounds like him to me. Yeah. But this is Julie Andrews' that's voice. Julie Andrews. That sounded like Christopher Plummer. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I, I don't think it is. So yeah. I, I have the same question of Jason. I it's I think uh, certainly an important movie and good songs. What are what are you wanting to preserve with this? Is is this just because you're a better person than us again? 
Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> that's already been established. <laughs> we could just leave it there. Articulate just, it with the music okay. now. <laughs> but the the song itself, do you know where it came from? It's a is it a World War Two thing? Or World No. Yeah, from where? Like uh, geographically? Like yeah. Germany? I'm not gonna guess. Switzerland, Germany? I don't know. So the sound of music takes place in Austria, right? During World War Two. Mm-hmm. Um there we go. Um, so I, at least for me, before I looked into this, I, I knew it was I knew it from the movie, but the way it's presented in the movie is that it's some Austrian folk song, and I assumed that was true, and I think a lot of people think that that they just stuck this Austrian folk song in there like it's their national anthem or something, but it turns out it was written just for that musical. Um, Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote it, but they wanted they wanted a song that the uh, the Von Trapp family could sing as they were uh, in this concert. They're presenting a concert, right. so in, in the movie um, Austria has been taken over by by Germany, the Nazis, mm-hmm. and the Von Trapps are trying to escape. They're, trying, they're like performing at gunpoint, yeah. basically. Yeah, um, so they're trying to escape, and he wanted this song that they could conclude the concert with. And that would kind of give the this idea of homeland and unification and also higher ideals than the current political okay. situation. Um, cool. But since then, a lot of people, like he he'd mentioned that a lot of people, even Germans or Austrians, come to him and be like, oh, I love the Austrian, you know, after the fact. But it's it's been so ingrained in the society mm-hmm. that a lot of people assume that it was actually is an Austrian song. Yeah. So I think that's the cool thing about it, that he was able to these guys Roger and Hammerstein able to write a song that could have have so much cultural impact that people would just they make like that adopted assumptions. it as their own so yeah. here's my here's my jerk question then yeah that's not why it's on my list so, but so just if a fun you fact. don't know the backstory mm-hmm. by itself without the backstory does it still belong on the list yeah yeah right. that that particular backstory that doesn't matter so much but just because it had that that cultural impact um what does it mean but the the bigger impact i think the sound of music was the biggest movie of the decade almost of all time adjusted for inflation between that and gone with the wind like how many people saw that movie multiple times over generations huge movie um, I thought it was just because they didn't have other choices, and then they <laughs> CBS or whatever. I guess we have to see this again. <laughs> I guess we got to see this. In. It's uh, like syndication is what made it. The in the this guy's got a heart. I'm talking in the theaters. Stone. People went to see it. People they'd have sing along. What versions if I told of it? you Bob Dylan loves Sound of Music? <laughs> it's a dark. Hey, it's a dark movie. Yeah. You've never seen it, have you, Jason? No, I have. Too busy watching Pretty Woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got a funny story Here, about that. I, no, I got, here's what I like I about... Get, I got made fun of at work the other day because I started The Mandalorian and I made it through one and a half episodes and then I turned it off and rewatched The Master by Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> 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 Were we talking about that recently? No, Did I tell you that no. that's one of the un- most underrated movies I of agree, the last 20 years? But I got years? made fun of at work because I totally um, walked out on the, this, this thing that... Because I'm so tired... Have you watched The Mandalorian? Have you watched mm. The Mandalorian? Eh, I'll get to it. I don't know. It's the more overrated. People, the more people ask me about it, the less I'm interested in watching it. I'd rather no. go find something else. And so, it's uh, fun to watch with your family. Yeah, it's fun to watch with your family. I checked out right. of, the, uh, of the current um, zeitgeist and said, I'm going to 
go this other direction. Yeah. And that's, I do the same thing with the sound of music. It's it's conduct disorder, really, at its core, um, <laughs> which, it, which Jordan can help me with. Yeah. Well, no, I can relate. Like, I like the sound of music more in pieces and as an idea. Like I like the idea of let's all watch the sound of music every year for a family tradition, and then like when it, whenever it comes up, <laughs> I find myself like with the kids. Oh, it's moving three hours away long. Yeah, it's so, long. That what about said, this part or that part? That being said, I'm I'm trying to be okay. humble here. Yeah. So so, so here's here's a song. Uh, I I love the song as it is. I think it's a magical song. Love the voices. Julie Andrews, great voice. I especially love the ending of it when the whole crowd joins in with them. Yeah, yeah. I like this idea of a sing-along kind of community experience with the song. Um, And that it's it's used in the the film to kind of as a a song of rebellion. They're like, this is really what we stand for, not this current kowtowing to the nazi is its context overlords. within the film necessary it, it, to understand it does make value? it better it does make it better it's not and it's not just the backstory like of the rogers hammond seat but it's actually watching it in the film it's an act of rebellion but it's like love so it's not just sweet sounding it's like a no fear like we're not afraid to like that's part of its yeah. artistic value right is its place in the movie that's part which of which I think is fair because I have like on my honorable mention I'll bring it up I, I have a song that's a, a movie soundtrack well, I, that's I very specific to m- the movie experience as part of the art I think because it is a soundtrack uh, that's the only association that people have with the song so was that like a was that so, recorded for that movie did it exist as a song before then it was a Broadway musical which uh, so, so sorry did it exist before it was part of the musical no no okay no written it was written for the, for the musical uh so but the movie was 65 when that came out um so yeah i I think it in this context anyone that knows the song knows it from seeing the movie and so it's just tied to this Mm -hmm. scene in the movie so in that in that situation you know uh, just listen to the song itself you don't hear those political overtones but there there's a politics to it about it being your homeland bless please bless our homeland and having having these these kind of high ideals for said homeland right. uh, and i will openly admit like show tunes do you consider this a show tune mm, it's a ballad like show show tunes but that world in general is by yeah. far my biggest blind spot yeah and um they don't need and to this yeah mo- most uh, most show tunes don't don't do it for me but it is a it is a big genre yeah for sure it's big for a lot of people well it's interesting like as i I had a friend that i was actually exchanging um she was super into show tunes and she didn't know anything about like non-show tunes music so we would do this exchange as i'll send you a dylan song and you send me a show tune and then we'll explain the context behind it and it was fascinating when she would tell me about the show tunes i was super intrigued and then i would listen to it and i had a whole new meaning um but i just for most of it i don't have the context so i've seen the sound of music um and it's like i I don't love it i like it Mm -hmm. i don't don't dislike it but well i like the curveball but it's a good curveball i like the uh and i like you you provided good context (laughs) i think i think seeing it in the movie i remember seeing it in the movie and liking the song when we played it just here i was kind of like Oh yeah, this song. So I think for me, watching it in the context of the movie, it's a powerful moment in the movie. Mm. And I haven't seen the movie. I recently. do like the idea of subtlety to protest music too, though. I mean, that weirdly, 
you could say that that's a very interesting companion piece to this land is your land mm-hmm. where on the surface you don't necessarily listen to it and say oh this is a political song but then if you can dig into kind of the subtlety the nuance of it it, it really is and in that regard it, it actually fully plays to the stuff i would typically like traditionally like because you do have to dig a little more to get the meaning behind it so um now that i say it that way yeah, two thumbs up. If I had okay. three hands, I'd give you three thumbs up. <laughs> this is one, like I mentioned earlier, that there's some things on my list that I I personally don't listen to a lot. I'm not always cranking Edelweiss in the car. <laughs> yeah. But I do think it is very representative of this time. Um, not, you know, even though when I think of the 60s, I think Beatles, mm-hmm. rock music. Right. That this, kind of thing, yeah. but for a huge population, this is also part of it. And I like, I mean, it's a Rodgers and Hammerstein, which they're so important in terms of the American songbook, so you're bringing that that influence in instead of it's not just about what's on the radio. I mean, some of their stuff was probably on the radio, too, maybe, I don't know. But yeah, good, good pick. So I've got a 65. Am I up? Mm-hmm. Okay. My 65 is a curveball... Uh, not because who it is, it's John Coltrane who, you know, had some great stuff in the 50s and the 60s, unfortunately died in the 60s, died before his time, was one of those, we were talking about, you know, substance use and artists earlier, he was one who overcame his substance use problem, um, he would have died if he, if he didn't, um, he would have died earlier, and then he probably put out his best stuff after that, yeah. and he went more and more spiritual in his music, like his recovery from heroin was very much a spiritual journey for him and his music it came that was his like his music and his composing and his playing was a direct extension of his worship to his higher power and there's a song you know this isn't a love supreme which a lot of people would choose this but this is the one that connected to me the most on that level um it's a song called dear lord which is obviously like it's a it's a prayer right Mm -hmm. it's a prayer song and you can hear the first two notes the first interval in the song you can hear basically, dear Lord. You can see, hear the saxophone what album saying. Is it on? It's this is the interesting thing. I didn't I didn't know for sure, but um, it was on transitions. Because I would have put money, you would have picked a Love Supreme, right? Acknowledgement that and and I love that one, but this one I've I've played more and gotten into more, and so it's on. It was an on album called Transitions. I didn't know it from that. I knew it from when I was playing saxophone growing up. I had these. It was called Jamie Abersall CDs, where you'd have the CD and it'd be a rhythm section, mm-hmm. and then you'd have a book and you'd play along with just the backing band, right? And so I had a John Coltrane, uh, Johnny, uh, Jamie Abersall thing, and and Dear Lord was one of the songs on there. And then also there's an, another saxophone player named Kenny Garrett who did a tribute album to John Coltrane, and he had the and this song on there. But the re-release of Dear Lord on CD, they took they changed some of the tracks, so mm-hmm. they took Dear Lord off of it. That's how I couldn't find it at first. So, or the, it was the reissue, actually. Even you know, so, anyway, the original 1965 um, version. So, "Dear Lord" by John Coltrane. Let's go ahead and listen to a bit, to a bit of it.
Why why this instead of Love Supreme? Because that's, that, that's what I think. Because I think yeah. like Love Supreme was really up there for me as far as uh, just doing something new with jazz. Right. Like I don't know if anyone heard anything like Love Supreme. The, this sounds great. Yeah. So I'm I'm wondering why. The, it's totally personal so mm. it's it's a it's not because it's his best song it's not because it's the most representative or the most influential it's because this song when i first heard it i heard it as a prayer from this person it like connected with me on this spiritual level and so and and so for me a lot of times there's a lot of reasons i listen to music sometimes it's catchy sometimes it's this kind of emotional resonance sometimes it's a, more of like even more than an emotional resonance almost like a communion and this song for me is is that kind of thing, and so and I think there's spiritual music. You know, Edelweiss could be spiritual music for for someone, but there's spiritual music in each decade. I've always not, I've never really gone towards stuff that's overtly, you know, like gospel music or like Christian rock. Usually, I'm not kind of drawn to it. That's like, and in some ways, this is that in jazz, the title of it, right? Um, but and maybe it's because it's instrumental that I was able to to listen to it in that way but that's the main reason it's more of a selfish like if i'm gonna put this in i want i want this to go on my gold record even if so i i liked yeah. it one of the things that stuck out to me is one of the the interesting things about coltrane that kind of makes him a love hate for me is he i think he saw the world like very differently like a lot of artists he he was experiencing the world differently than most of us like i'm sure you've seen his mm -hmm. poster where he he draws out the circle of fifths model yeah like he was a scientist he was an engineer mm -hmm. and like almost like when you look at that it's hard not to think of like da vinci's sketches of right, the human right. body that's how he was viewing music which is much more complex than i think a, a typical you right listener would look at it and so you catch that in his music sometimes it's so complex like he's bending time in mm -hmm. giant steps even in a love supreme mm -hmm. in a way that that it's easy to lose track of the song at times and, right and just go i i can't even figure out what he's doing right here because this is not on a typical time scale but that like that song right there mm -hmm. is fully accessible and it's really really soulful really really yeah. um emotive it's soulful and a lot of his playing it's that that he had kind of the wall of sound thing where i'm he's playing a ton he's there's not a lot of space a lot in some of his songs uh and and i tend and i like a lot of that but i do still tend to like he, we did the miles davis stuff the the space yeah. in between and this one is has this kind of reverence to it and soulfulness to it like you're saying that it's just it's just one of my all-time favorite um like spiritual songs love it what All year right. are we at that's it that was 65 we're uh, we're moving on to 66 unless someone else has a 65 uh no my next one's 66 and i'm guessing it's one that at least one of you will have could be i've got i've got two from 1966 do it jason um all right so if i were to make a list of songs i personally wish i would have written this is easily in my top three i think it's one of the most beautiful and one of the most touching songs ever written it's pretty brief um and it's kind of uh, a variance from the the way the group is typically known and also kind of just the form of rock and roll in general um but it's the 
Beach Boys, God Only Knows. Yep. It was on mine, too. Yep. I figured that there's there was two songs that I thought might be common for all three, and this was the one I thought had the strongest yeah. odds of it. So. I, I had to pick, like, as far as representing the Beach Boys, it was uh, between this and Good Vibrations. And they had lots of hits before that. They were yeah, more of the so, typical surf sound. So weirdly, yeah. this is not necessarily, I don't think, the most representative of their traditional sound. Like, yeah. this isn't surf music. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's such, like, from a song craft standpoint, just creating something beautiful, just per- purely beautiful. Yeah. This, in my mind, is, is really as good as it gets. It's amazing. Yeah. Hey, you're a good person, too, Jason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't, don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah, I think this one is, is the the song of theirs that represents what was best about the beach boys uniquely like only they could do this song mm, mm-hmm. there i mean a lot of their earlier stuff was not necessarily anyone was doing yeah. exactly like that, like that too but with this song people were like whoa i chose this one over wouldn't it be nice that was my other but i yeah. chose this one both I think, from the same album i think this one is the b-side right to wouldn't oh, it be nice i don't know could be Maybe not. Uh, or maybe to Sloop John B or something. Yeah. It's on so for those that don't know if we're if we're trying to help educate those um, in in the off chance that anybody's unfamiliar with this song or this album, it's off of the Pet Sounds album, which was kind of Brian Wilson's masterpiece. It was him actually responding directly to the Beatles. Was it a response to Rubber Soul? Mm-hmm. Um he was he was listening to that and, and it really inspired him. He, thought he needed to try to make something like on par creatively as that and um put together the the pet sounds album which is a still a really impressive listen a really fun listen um some depth and some some complexity that i i think most people don't realize if they just think of the beach boys as surf music as you know surf in usa or something Mm -hmm. love you but long as there are stars above you you never need to doubt it I'll make you so sure about it God only knows what I'd be without you if you should ever leave me so goosebumps right there listening to it passes the goosebumps test i love just listening to it right there it struck me and it's never struck me before the opening um lyric is actually this acknowledgement of um of imperfection like i may not always love you it's not even this mm-hmm. like bold statement of i'm always gonna be there I'm always, that's like a johnny cash lyric mm-hmm. or a bob dylan mm-hmm. lyric to start off saying start you know the, what disillusion i may not yeah. always love you mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's so it's like romantic and and also romantic in the disillusioning way or in the way like yeah that's i that. love all the instruments on this the orchestral kind of instruments um and Carl Carl Wilson's voice on this just so I don't know I don't know what it is about his voice it's just mm-hmm. perfect for this and then the way that it gradually throughout the song the other voices come in 
and the last the last verse of it or i guess the refrain where it's like the the chorus but with all the the intertwined harmonies it's orchestral with voices which i think was Mm -hmm. and still is unique like you hear orchestrations with strings and with instruments Mm -hmm. but to do that with voices kind of the way they layered them it was let's listen to this ending when they all come in memory's right brian wilson commented how when they're recording this album they would have prayer sessions before the recording and that their their prayer was that they wanted the audience to feel loved when they listened to it and i think uh, mission accomplished with that song pretty cool that's awesome that's very cool it was on your list too jordan it was on my list it was on all of ours right yeah what do you want to say about it i i just love it i just i think you guys said it i don't um yeah I don't have anything else beautiful song I've got another 66 okay go for it anybody else have another 66 I've got two 66 so do you want to do yours too and then I'll do my two or do you want to Um, I did that one so you okay so this one um, is oh yeah so we yeah you did that one so my 66 is going to be this is a this is my one of my curveballs I guess another one Um, from a soundtrack from one of my favorite composers of all time, from Ennio Morricone, it's the soundtrack, the theme to *The Good, the Bad, the Other*. So this was that's what I. This is on my honorable mention. Mm-hmm. I almost picked it, um, and that's what I, where I said there's a important conversation to be had about how the, you start blending music mm-hmm. and cinema for art right. now. So I freaking I love the song. Yeah. I'm, I'm pumped yeah. you picked it. We're yeah. doing the the main title. I'm guessing. Main title. Yeah, main title. Mm-hmm. Okay. influenced a lot by by my other older brother's taste and he was a huge Clint Eastwood spaghetti western f- fan when I was a little kid and he was in high school he had Clint Eastwood as the man with no name poster on his wall and I would hear this tune along with the Dick Dale and the Dell tones which is interesting because later Quentin Tarantino's making mu- you know movies that are based on music more than <laughs> based yeah. on movies in some ways 
but yeah, just just so cool and different sounds and uh, just iconic, stripped down, very like these cinematic songs and Ennio Marcone and, and others' ability to create kind of visual uh, interest from from their songs, things that you could listen to without the the picture, but then when you put it up there with with the uh, the images, it just yeah. So the idea, away. so the so I watched an interview with yeah. him last night, late last night in your two a.m. research yeah. when you're when you're so cutting. He, Morricone <laughs> hates the term spaghetti western yeah, because yeah. he feels like it it cheapens the art, sure. and he feels like it pigeonholes what he did because he composed right. like over two hundred fifty oh, movies. His, his other stuff, the breadth of his work is yeah. ridiculous. But he was so brilliant at painting a picture. So like if you if you watch the opening credits to The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and it plays that song, and it has this kind of cool um, 60s-style illustration that introduces this genre of movie that became really defining, that still Quentin Tarantino is still remaking mm-hmm. in his movies. Um, Morricone's soundtrack is like inseparable from from the right. art there and then the other thing i love about that song that was super cool the main voice of that so traditionally like a movie soundtrack is going to be strings and horns it's like this big or- orchestration mm-hmm. the voice of that song i think it's a fender telecaster i think it's a tele guitar mm-hmm. like that makes this really the twangy kind of pronounced twangy it just it, yeah. it like it paints it is a visual image created with sound in just a yeah. really unique way i love yeah, it. it i, I think it's a great so well pick. with with the visuals that sergio leone put up there and very cool what do you think I, brandon i like hearing him, your thoughts about it this is one that i had in in the running for me yeah like it's on the playlist but then every time i'm listening to the playlist on the car and this one came on i'm like yeah and skip you skip it, it. yeah yeah that's how it was for me it's like culturally important yeah as far as like the sounds I'm preserving and it, it felt the most I think the most out of place in my playlist I plugged it in uh-huh. list would listen to it through and I was like mm. it's not quite working and I yeah. take it out interesting yeah I well I've been shuffling this playlist around and it's funny because I, I thought okay I got my 10 and then I, as we started and we got into the 1965s there was a 1964 on here that I that I moved in and I was gonna be, and I missed it but but I've got to stick to 10 so that one is gonna be represent my my uh most underrated or most overlooked nice. that band so anyway but yeah great song and i like the idea that it's that it's we're getting into um soundtrack music as important and uh as you're saying the, the music and movies start to kind of merge in, in very yeah. interesting ways so yeah that's my 1966 i it's have one so more 66 do you have any nope let's hear it oh, okay um i knew I wanted to include this guy kind of no matter what, so I, I, I kind of forced it. It was tough to pick one, but I if I'm going to preserve this decade, i got to preserve this voice. Uh, Otis Redding, Try a Little Tenderness. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite songs. Uh, still listen to it today. It's from, um, what's the name of the album? The, the Dictionary of Soul, which is such a bold statement, such a cool album cover and album title. Like he kind of knew that you start to see some of that kind of R&B bombast at this point. He's like, I am going to give you the Dictionary of Soul now. Just here it is. Like that's a <laughs> that's that's I a big that. statement. I love yeah. it. So try a little tenderness. And so this is a remake. He didn't write this. Um, Bing Crosby. 
Wow. Perform this, and it has a totally... The, they, I think they called him the godfather of soul. Is that right? Is that what they called Bing Crosby? <laughs> they did. They did. Um, so, oh, man. And this one has like a slow crescendo. It's a slow build, and by the end, you get this unbelievable... Like, the song itself represents, I feel like, the evolution of soul music. It starts off mm. very slow and traditional, and it slowly builds into this big crescendo moment where he starts where Redding starts kind of leaving the script and you start hearing him do his his added pieces where he's mm-hmm. doing um he, he's what do you what do you call it anyway it's I love it I love it all right let's hear go it. ahead and try a little it. tenderness and then we'll um but I want to make sure I mean I may have you fast forward part of the song to, to get, get to the to end the, yeah I love the end but the first part captures kind of the beginning of that evolution Young girls, they do get weary Wearing that same old shaggy dress Yeah, yeah But when she gets weary Trying a little tenderness No, she's waiting. So jump up to yes. like I think and it's about a two-minute mark. Hating, but it's all so yeah, so go from here. Like it's this is where she just channels all his Otis readiness. Is that part right there? Like that two seconds just kills it. That's one of my favorite. That's, that's like one of my favorite five seconds. Jay Z and Kanye took that piece, built a whole song around it called Otis off their watch. Why does the song album. end right there? I don't know. It's so it's bizarre. It's like it just fades it out right at the climax. Builds, it's this <laughs> huge crescendo climax, and he hits you with that. Like he's not singing anything. It's like very uh-huh. James Brown. It is. It is. But early because. But it's, it's like. Yeah three seconds of perfection but i love the whole song yeah. otis redding's voice is one of my favorites of all time yeah. side note on that the session band that's playing booker t and the mgs no way so it's cool. every, like all all the parts of it yeah. going in are just that way we get booker good, t good, in here high quality yep green onions uh, i don't know if anyone's we, we got it on there but. we got booker t as the session band we got the uh, the wrecking crew session band for the the beach boys Yes, the, between those two, and, how many and, and how I've many got, hits have and, been? And I've got one that the Swampers are the uh, are the session band. I don't Florida know the Swampers. The Muscles, Muscle Shoals, Fame Studios, and Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Muscle Shoals. Oh, we wouldn't, it, we it, wouldn't have rock music today. Is it respect? Is it I'm not going to say. Okay. Oh. Don't 
Don't try to dip into my future choices. Am I stealing your thunder? That that was on my top ten this morning, and I had to I had to break it out for because of it's too hard. The top ten is too hard. It is. Anyway, Otis Redding. Um, I've got three sixty sevens. I've got one sixty seven, and I want to go because it'll it'll blend with Otis Redding. You have a sixty seven, Brandon. I have two sixty sevens. Okay. Mine is James Brown. Do you want to wait on that since we just heard Otis, or do we want to hear it because? Because it, let's do it. Let's do some James Brown. It's cold sweat. James Brown. It's don't. It's not the live version. There's a few live versions that are like a lot higher. So tempo. one of the most one of the most difficult things I had to confront um, on this whole exercise mm-hmm. was that I couldn't make space for James Brown in my uh, top you ten. Were I wrong. wanted to try that's to force him in. That's the only definitive thing I, I will say is that you were wrong. I knew. I knew <laughs> I could count on you for including him, yeah. but um, it really hurt. Not yeah. to include well, him. Well, you could include him in the 70s. He's got some great stuff in the 70s. But but 1967, Cold Sweat, and as a hip-hop aficionado yourself, oh, James. That, most that, sampled you know, artist of all time. Well, and this song specifically was, as far as, as far as people know, I think this is the first song where he actually called out to the drummer and and you know gave the drummer some and like there was this drum break where the drum drummer's just going and he's not doing it like a jazz drum solo he's basically just playing the drums by himself the band cuts out and James Brown is doing his little yells in between and stuff and and that eventually became the part where people would loop over the DJs would loop and then people would break dance to the drum break before even rhyming was or emceeing was really <laughs> So we gotta hear the bridge. Leave it, leave it, and the bridge will be coming up. But the funkiness of this and the syncopation, the way he used the instruments. Yeah, this has to be on there. It has to be. It's so different than everything before. Those hits. Okay. Now, is this the seven-minute one? Mm-hmm. If you go forward after this bridge and you go forward to the uh, the drum break. So there's a great saxophone solo by Maceo Parker. So go past the saxophone solo. Let's see. Keep going. There. Right back, there, right you there. said it. By far my most jealous pick you've made. <laughs> this right here, this is like you could say this is where hip hop came from. Oh, we wouldn't have just this drum break. And that drum break right there. And so just a little more about Cold Sweat if you wanna break it down. So to me, I first started listening to James Brown in high school. Um, first it was first it was the JBs. My cousin had a or some I, I think it was my cousin, but I was playing saxophone and 
I was listening to yeah, jazz look, stuff. Look up Fred Wesley and the JB's kids. Yeah, I was I was listening to jazz stuff like Coltrane and Cannonball Adderley and Charlie Parker, and I didn't love like bebop. But then when one of my saxophone teachers told me to listen to Maceo Parker, all of a sudden I loved because it was that was funk, you know, and I, that was amazing. And that then got me into James Brown, and James Brown's music. And he was coming from the doo-wop of the 50s. He was coming from that R&B, the Little Richard, the all the, those groups that we've been listening to. And he started doing things different. He started using horns instead of as melody. He started using them as percussion. He started doing what Otis Redding was doing on that song you just showed us, uh, where he's kind of... His voice is more of like an instrument, more of a percussive instrument than just a something for a melody. Um, and... The individual parts, the individual bass or the different two guitar parts by themselves are pretty simple, but you put them together in this puzzle that has this energy that just can't, you can't help but dance. I'm not a person, I'm not a dancer, but this funk music would come on and I like couldn't help but move, move to it. And I know you guys are dying to see me funk dance. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, but Cold Sweat, the other thing about this that relates to, remember last week or last time, uh, So What? So Pee Wee Ellis uh, acknowledges that Cold Sweat, that that was a So What? That was like his own little riff on that. Fred Wesley hated this song. He hated Cold really? Sweat. He came in and was like, it doesn't make sense. I don't like it. He didn't like a lot of the... He was more of a jazz guy. So he was he was there for... He was great at soloing and he was a great arranger. But James Brown was a major... Some people think, oh, he was just the singer, but it was all this band. James Brown was a big part of saying, no, I want you to hit this right here. I want you to do this right here. Okay, here's another one that uh, I'm sure everybody knows in one way or another. Not necessarily associated with the 60s themselves. But uh, it's just such a great song. You gotta, you gotta include it. What are you talking about? I got two sixty sevens. And this guy's voice. Um, there's nothing else like this guy's voice. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Love it. So, as performed by Louis Armstrong, of course, known more as a, well, at least early as a trumpet player. I wonder if you ask the the average. Uh, youngster right now what they know about you louis armstrong if this would be i think they'd what say they know about. louis who could be that too um yeah lo- love his voice love the uh, the sentiment behind the song so did he did he have a good voice i think he's there with well it's better than bob dylan's he, but also it's it's, it's weird it's only i like voice. it but it, it's borderline like if he lived in 2019 he's probably doing voiceover work in like mm-hmm. animated features well he he's got the he's got the phrasing and the stuff like he can he's a good singer in the sense that he can phrase he can use his voice so good voice he, it might not be a tone that you're like dying to hear right but the way he phrases the way like he's he's a he's a pro as a singer right you know and part of that was as a musician too like the phrasing and the way you bend a note or or attack the note. it's kind of a, it's kind of a grandpa voice yeah i like it I, and I he, really i'm sure like he it. was pretty old at this point oh he was yeah he was. Uh, 
but it, there's so much I don't know texture to it which yeah. it, that's one of the things I like about it it is a ref, it is a, a song that's about like being reflective at mm-hmm. a certain point I think it, it, it indicates at age or at a minimum experience like yeah. I'm, I'm gonna stop it is, you know is that like the first record of mindfulness probably like yeah it, it, well and the other thing about Louis Armstrong he's he, I think if we were just saying who's the most influential people in American music Louis Armstrong's got to be top 10 yeah. for mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. you know and I didn't even think of him just because this was past his heyday this was past his prime you know even the 50s was like 30s and 40s 20s 30s 40s he was he was you know uh, doing stuff of course not releasing records I don't think in the 20s but um, but it's a great song and I, I you know, and, uh, and I love it coming from him like we talked about Sam Sam Cook earlier and his reaction to the uh, trials and and stuff that he had to face mm-hmm. all of which Louis Armstrong would have had to go through as well um, even for longer having being an older guy at the time um, and Louis didn't write this song himself but I believe it was written for him and he, he was the first one to record it um, and I do do like the idea of looking back on your life despite despite all the hardship despite terrible things but being able to to see overall what a what a wonderful yeah place right. it has been cool yeah. cool song yeah uh that was 67 mm-hmm. i got two 67s i've got one more as well um i'm gonna Go shoot my beatles shot oh, oh okay you concluded them mm-hmm. maybe it'll be the same one it probably is it's it's indisputably good it's a day in the life off mm-hmm. of sergeant mm-hmm. peppers I, mm-hmm. I don't know how a person couldn't include this jordan yeah um <laughs> no well, i knew i knew brandon it's, would it, but it is so this song fast so here's my take here's here's i'll, I'll be complimentary to the beatles i already hinted at it they were master craftsmen they could build manufacture like they could see the parts um, and it seemed effortless of a song and it did they would just pump these things out and this thing is so cool did like i listened to this song and in my mind it's a it's like a three act play mm-hmm. so there's three distinct verses that all sound different there's not really a chorus and then there's even like a closing credits at the end um, but it's this big crescendo George Martin production with this big crescendo of strings. I feel like um, this is is this this is Lennon singing, right? Uh, it switches. It's sw- that's right. So Lennon, Lennon starts it out, and then Paul's got the middle. F- from a message standpoint, I love. I feel like this is their most relatable song. It's a guy looking around and seeing kind of lousy stuff. Um, a day in the life. Lyrically, it's it's I probably my favorite Beatles song but just composition wise the whole thing the strings the crescendo the three different parts it really is like a three act play for your ears and it's just it's Mm. brilliant absolutely brilliant it starts out with an odd thing because this is from the album Sgt. Mm -hmm. Peppers which a lot of the songs flow into each other so we're catching the tail end of whatever the end of what was the song before 
Was it fixing a hole in the drywall? Um, an instructional video by the Beatles? <laughs> I saw that. Have you seen The Simpsons where they break into Flanders' house and trash all of his Beatles memorabilia? <laughs> it pans up past this, this video of same, fixing a hole in your drywall. Is that the same one when Flanders, uh, when the hole in front of the church opens up Wait. and uh, he thinks he's being sent to hell and he looks down and he decided to wear his Beatles beetle boots that day? <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have worn these things. Wait, I didn't know. I can't remember Flanders being such a Beatles fan. It makes me think that yeah. you might have, if you were a writer for The Simpsons, that's the kind of move you would have made. Like, oh, let's have Flanders be a big Beatles fan. I, I know it's in season 14 because we just, we just watched it you know, nice. a couple days ago. Okay. So. I feel like this is the most honest their voice ever is. It's, it's not performance. It's just like wistful. Ringo's drumming on this is spot on. It's not even drumming for most of it, and then it just comes in. Just two and four. Nobody was really sure he was on the house. Should we skip to the transition? That yeah. part where his voice cracks, where he says film, I love it. Mm-hmm. By the way, some dark lyrics in this one, mm-hmm. um, some dark imagery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but get, get the transition. I like the transition well, from act one to act yeah. two. And the, this is where, you know, they, they'd started this with some previous albums, but this is where they're transitioning from uh, pop songs about love and holding hands and just strictly that stuff to... So here's the transition. Yeah. End of Act 1, start of Act 2. And then Paul's going to come in, right? If I remember right, they they told the orchestra, like they wrote it out, just go from your lowest note to your highest note, but don't do it all at the same time. Yeah. Each instrument do it at a different and time. And take this long to do it. Yeah. Similar to God Only Knows with the Beach Boys, um, this isn't necessarily the most representative Beatles song, but, um, you know, because when you think of them, at least for me, if I think of the Beatles, or at least most, I think most people that don't know all every mm-hmm. song from every album, think of the Beatles, they think Hard Day's Night yeah. type stuff, or they think Hey Jude yeah. type stuff, like that's what they're most known for. But this one, I think, really displays what they were best at that only they could do 
I, I agree. It's like it, it's the complexity a, of it's it. Their arrangement, unassailable masterpiece. You're exactly mm-hmm. right. It picked what they were uniquely good at, and mm-hmm. then it's this is them doing the thing they were uniquely good at at the highest level possible. Yeah. I had a realization while listening to this just now. We had just talked about Brian Wilson and doing pet sounds after being inspired by Rubber Soul. Mm-hmm. That was 66. Well, this is the Beatles' response to pet yeah, sounds. Yeah, so this was the realization. Yeah. This was the cause of Brian Wilson's depression for the decades that <laughs> preceded. Like, yeah. like oh, no like, doubt. Like, listening to this after, like, this is so, I mean, Pet Sounds is great, but this is just a whole nother, the confidence in, in what they're doing. I think that's why he so gave up different. on Smile. Like, he had a nervous breakdown yeah, trying to do Smile because then this came out. So, and like, so oh, I can be honest. So, so my hot take about U2 is also, like, I think U2 is even more overrated than the Beatles. Mm-hmm. But U2 has one album that I love. Like, I love War. I think War is a brilliant album. I'll, I'll stand by that. Um, Sgt. Pepper is a great album. Like, mm-hmm. every, every music fan should own it. It's just... Yeah just perfectly put together it, it's a concept album it's it's yeah. quirky but it's musically just in, it's an incredible piece of art if we were to take our if we were to take our three different lists and make one top 10 list which maybe we should do when we when we actually put the spotify playlist just have like here's our top 10 that we've agreed to crunch from our three separate ones together mm-hmm. this is what's going on the golden record yeah, from our sorry, podcast Gould. Yeah, I would definitely take this one and substitute it for Hard Day's Night. Even though I love Hard Day's Night and stuff, this to me is more. What this is actually more of what I think of when I think of Beatles. This or Hey Jude than the early stuff. I like the early stuff, uh, but this, if all yeah. their stuff was like that, which is an impossible level to sustain, yeah. but if all their stuff was like that, it, I would have a completely different relationship. What do you think about Abbey them? Road? Um, I like best it. album ever. It's. Because there's, there's, are you, yeah. are you saying that tongue in cheek at all? Or no. that's your official? My favorite album with him. If you, if you listen to Abbey Road, because to me there's a lot of the kind of transition, transitiony yeah. stuff in there with like, I actually love the White Album too. The White Album have a lot of goofy stuff in it, but but even the goofy stuff, I love. Um, but anyway, yeah, I listening to this and thinking about, I didn't know this about Brian Wilson. I think I'd heard that Brian Wilson go, doing Pet Sounds, which was amazing. It pushed him, you know. But you hear this and you're just like. The Beatles were, were way above what they were doing, you know, um, and yeah, I, and I didn't realize, I was like, is this what caused Brian Wilson's depression? It sounds like it might. <laughs> yeah. So, so Sgt. Pepper's as an album, and this song in particular, I think, showed uh, showed what popular and rock music had the potential to be, and this is probably the, the birth of like, maybe not psychedelic, that probably started with... Uh, Oh, what's the song? The la- the last song on Revolver. Tomorrow never knows. Mm. That feels like a. I'm not. I'm not willing song. to give the Beatles credit for inventing psych, but. Mm-hmm. Um, they got there before Pink Floyd. Uh, you got the thirteenth floor elevators. But, uh, if you want to, uh, if you want. But for for prog music, like the, this song feels like the birth. I of think prog I see. Music. Jay- if Jason had his earphones off, there'd be steam coming out of his ears right now. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Well, how about this? We won't give credit to the Beatles. We'll give credit to the LSD that they took. <coughs> nope. <laughs> I think we've established that drugs are bad. But, like, you have the complexity of it. Like, they're they're trying to merge these two songs together yeah. and work in the orchestra. And other songs had orchestra in there, but they're the first ones to have... I don't know if they're the first, but as far as I know, uh, to have that deliberate, weird kind of orchestra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
um, experimental kind of for, stuff. For anybody on. that's ever created, like whether you're an author, a painter, or a musician, the the challenge is like I think it's a pretty common experience to you'll create pieces of the thing, and sometimes you'll create more pieces of the thing than are necessary, and then kind of the challenge of art in a lot of cases, really the artistry is putting them together, mm-hmm. um, and like when I look at that song that's the perfect example of that Mm -hmm. like they they figured out how to put all these pieces that really don't make sense Mm -hmm. putting together in a way that's just flawless and seamless in a a really good way how much credit do we need to give to george martin here like was he i know he was he was super people call him the fifth beetle but he was super involved in the recording process and but i'm not sure how how involved he was early versus late versus middle throughout like was he involved all the time with all this yeah my understanding yeah. is that he was i don't know this song specifically like what mm-hmm. he did but but he was really key in the whole in general like with the use of strings and orchestration like mm-hmm. I, I don't i don't know that that song would exist without george martin whether he was specifically on it i know he has production credit on it mm-hmm. um but just even for them to get to that point they wouldn't have without george martin's influence yeah. they never would have i imagine if the beatles had kept doing just you know kind of rock and roll r&b pop pop rock right and i mean they they can they were popular throughout they were pop music throughout but they were changing pop music throughout and so they to, to that point and so I mean, it's like we were talking about boy bands. Imagine if a, a like In Sync became, you know, Radiohead, you know, over the course of ten years. Yeah, and where it's like, different, where it's probably which an Radiohead unf- kind of did do with Creep. Yeah, I love well, Creep. I don't. They didn't start. Nothing wrong with they Creep, didn't start as they, a boy band though. They didn't start as like and a poppy. Where, where it's probably an unfair. That's the same as Beatles starting an, with an unfair comparison or, or an unfair you. usage of boy band with the Beatles. So they were pop for like good looking pop guys that danced and sang in, in unison yeah. and wore the, the same um, suits but they weren't they, they, manufactured they weren't manufactured from, like a boy like, band yeah. these guys don't even know the, each other they're trying right. out they're, they're auditioning they're mm-hmm. like, and then yeah. a producer is handpicking the rebel and the handsome one and the, the good monkeys. voice and putting them together right the monkeys are really the first more of a boy band the than the Beatles bands, like probably. the Beatles organically met each other and then cut their chops playing in right. bars like putting that's their true. time in that's true yeah, but it's a it's a great. What am I great doing pick. defending the Beatles? They they get, that, that's what, we, that's what the goal was. Yeah. Yep. They're a damn it's boy happened. band. We're done now. <laughs> Wrap it up. We're not even recording right now. Just so you know, this was we were just trolling you. Good. The entire Good. podcast. That means that means none of this is on record. <laughs> the entire yes. podcast was set up for you to. <laughs> All right, sixty-seven. Got I got a, I got another sixty-seven. Okay. Do you? Uh, no. Do you? Nope, I've got a 68. Uh, so my second 67 is... So I debated on this one, and every time I went back and listened to it and would turn it up loud, it's as much of a cliche as it's become. It is an absolute goosebump song. It's Aretha Franklin, Respect, um, recorded famously at uh, the Muscle Shoals Fame Studio, which I've been to in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. They had this backing band. You know, we talked about the Wrecking Crew, Booker T and the MGs. The Swampers were the band in in Muscle Shoals, and that's where like Otis Redding and Aretha were going to because they were they played this kind of style of gritty funk Mm -hmm. that was so perfect to back r&b and soul music and she did a lot of stuff here she gives this formula kind of for what 
soul music could become. She does a couple things where she cuts out the instrumentation and she's just going like this really hard acapella piece. She does the thing where she spells it out. She's got backing vocals that have turned into a kind of a, a cliche for R&B music as well. The other cool thing about this that I love so this was originally an Otis Redding song, and when he sings it, it's a man like demanding that his woman. It's almost a misogynistic mm-hmm. like anthem. Like it's mm-hmm. a man coming home. Not, saying, not very almost. Right. About it, it is. It is. <laughs> like I work hard. I work hard and bring home the money. Woman, give me some respect. And she took it and didn't have to change a ton of the lyrics and just used her voice to fully invert the message and turn it into this message of feminism and like you are respect women's anthem we mm-hmm. we need yeah. respect and it really became that and and even though it's become a little bit of a cliche the the message has actually stayed pretty transcendent like i don't think sometimes when something becomes too cliche it almost becomes a parody of itself and somehow i think this is pretty successfully stood the the, the test of time and, and it, re- it really hasn't become a parody it's still a- anthemic that way but the song itself every time i w- went back and re-listened to it like i i skip it because i'm so numb to it but when i put it on my list of 10 my playlist and i would go back and listen to it for the past several days every time it's still a goosebump song her voice yeah. is so dang good on it i, I actually had this in my top 10 as, as well but called an audible and swapped it out yeah. when when me too. When you uh, revealed. <laughs> <laughs> what did I reveal? Oh, earlier when Jordan called me out. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. When this bastard called me out. <laughs> uh-huh. I swapped it out, and, and it was it was really when you, when we talked about it, and you're like, so yeah, can, I, I pretty much put the stuff I want to put on here, and I was like. So can we agree that we all three had this in our time? Yeah. Time? Here we go. Her voice is so strong, but she's singing these notes so hard, the bottom's falling out of her voice on part of it, and you're just like you're hearing almost this hollow piece um, of some of the words because she's just belted out the just a little bit in the background. Be, like she used backing singers so good to mesh with her voice and with the instrumentation. Kills the music and it's just vocals. Um, I have 168. You got a 68? Mm-hmm. Oh, I've got, got a 68. 68. That's my last one. I, I, a lot of mine were early, like early 60s. I've left off a lot that I love. It's sad, but I've got a 68. Who's up? Go for it. I'm up. Okay. So uh, another group that I came to later in life that I didn't appreciate until uh, my wife introduced them to me more, Simon and Garfunkel. Um, I almost put them as my most underrated of the decade, even though they're quite great quite popular but the song that i chose instead of mrs robinson that a lot of people have on their top is uh, a song from the album bookends it's from 1968 the song is called america uh, that's i would have guessed that one. yeah this is to me um just the lyrics 
are amazing and the way the lyrics fit with the with the music uh such a there's a lot of kind of general kind of epic themes and there's very and yet a lot of specific details and i think paul simon is one of the best lyricists ever um so let's listen this is a song that takes you somewhere like if you close your eyes and listen Mm -hmm. to it you you disappear from where you're at yeah like they they take you on a ride with them absolutely so this is america off of bookends from simon and garfunkel 1968 By the way, this is like this has got to be a direct line into Elliot Smith, right? Mm, yeah. Like it, that first part, right there, you hear it. I don't know if I if I just heard that part, I don't know if I could say that's Elliot Smith or Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel. I've got some real estate here in my bag. So we bought a pack of cigarettes. And this is Wagner Pies And walked off to look for America This song was based off of a road trip he took with his girlfriend Kathy. You hear him right here. Paul Simon's girlfriend? Paul Simon's girlfriend. It was after they'd done an album and they, they needed to do... They, were, they had a deadline and he, he wanted to get away. He was living in London and they he came over... Uh, to America to do some stuff and and his girlfriend came with him and they took a little road trip where he wasn't going to write any songs when you know and then a few years later he wrote this song so the, the road trip was a few years before he actually wrote it I uh I had Mrs. Robinson mm-hmm. in my top 10 for a while eventually had to move it to honorable mention but yeah. same I, I love love Simon Garfunkel Tons of great songs from him. So many great songs. Tons. Yep. Uh, um, so weirdly, I love Paul Simon. I'm, I I like Simon and Garfunkel. No, probably no surprise to either of you. Like they don't normally do it for me, but I love that song. It's, yeah. Yeah. They. Uh, yeah. I'm like I said. I'm a sucker for harmonies, and they've got they yeah, got some of the best. They can do it. And although on this album cover. Paul Simon has one of the, he's got the Dumb and Dumber haircut. Yeah. Oh yeah. He <laughs> like, does. I don't know. I think Jim Carrey <laughs> took it directly from that. He's looking bad I on think this. It's album. Called the Lloyd Christmas. <laughs> yeah, the Lloyd Christmas. And at the time, I'm sure it was way cool, but definitely not anymore. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, Paul Simon, like you take his whole career. Mm-hmm. He, he's one of the rare few that that have been able to sustain uh, a music career. Uh, Rele- multiple decades, relevance, yeah, mm-hmm. and still be doing great songs. Yeah. Did you see him? He was on. Was it on Saturday Night Live? Yeah, he was last on Saturday year? Night Live, and he had done some new like jazz he versions. Rounds. He did Saturday of, Night Live, and he did Colbert. It was like jazz versions of some of his songs. Yeah. It was interesting. I liked it. It's different. Yeah. All right, my my sixty eight. Let me get to the right tab here. Uh, I'm going with Jimi Hendrix, Voodoo Child. Nice, nice. Uh, Hendrix, I, I kept, uh, I had a few Hendrix songs on this playlist that mm-hmm. I was listening to, trying to decide on one. Also had uh, Sunshine of Your Love, Cream. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But they they seem kind of the same. Yeah, they're the same, same genre, like the the blues same, same blues rock power yeah. trio. I had uh, Hey Joe from from, uh, but it was on my honorable yeah. mention. I had Purple Haze in my honorable mention. Um, yeah, all all great songs. Hey Hey Joe, 
that's a little i mean not a little that's beyond misogynistic like taking yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> taking respect like i that came on the car last night as i'm driving i'm like, You're like eh. there there are so many like blue songs with that same attitude like you cheat on me i'm gonna shoot you down right. you know yeah. But it's that that weirdly macho revenge. Right. In retrospect, you're like, this is just creepy. Which yeah. the Beatles down, have d- a ton of those well, too. Down like, by the river. Um, yep. From a Neil thought, Young. I thought from, that was about of mice and men. Was it? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> he's gonna defend See, Neil. Now he's turned into an apologist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Well, and that's one of the reasons I was thinking of Hey Joe because I'm like this this encapsulates some of the attitude that was seen as rebellious at the time, yeah. perhaps. But um, so that, cool that's why I went with uh, with. I mean, that's not why I, I just think Voodoo Child is. Uh, it's just my favorite song of his. Uh, it's got such a cool opening with um, the wah pedal, and and then like he as a guitarist, he changed electric guitar playing. Oh, yeah. Like there were great guitarists before that, but everybody, you know, when this album comes out. The, every guitarist in the world is like, whoa, okay, yep. you can do that. Yeah. And, okay, here we go. Voodoo Child, Slight Return from Jimi Hendrix. So so far, it's got it's got a unique sound, but he's not doing anything all that different as far as his, his playing. Yeah. It's almost you can you almost have a the beginnings of a headbanger quality. You can hear metal and a little bit. I can this. only hear one guitar here, but it still blows my mind that it's all coming from one guitar. And then when his voice comes in, his voice is just so cool. Such a great voice. guitarist that give me chills just from their guitar playing but this, this is one fa- famously hated his own voice Did he? yeah he hated the sound of his own voice um didn't didn't like it um and then was super experimental like he would do stuff like putting speakers underwater and trying to play through them and just crazy <laughs> stuff Ruin some speakers so probably. my my take on him and why i didn't include him and, and maybe i should have but um i have him in a unique category which is um space alien like bowie and hendrix are kind of the two if if you found out that they didn't have human dna like i'd only be 20 percent surprised <laughs> they just came from a different planet on like how they approached things how they approached music and art like there was nothing like that but the, the hard part is it's so virtuosic Mm -hmm. like it's tough to say I'm gonna play like Hendrix like 
somebody could say, I want to play like Lennon or I want to play like whoever. Like, where do you even start with that? It, it's so, so many steps beyond like what seems reasonable for a human to do. Right. Um, and it, I don't think it's just the technical ability you're talking no, about. It's, 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 it's the soul. It's everything. It's the, it's the even, even it. though it's, it seems unachievable, I would think any, anyone, even still anyone that's learning guitar, there's tons of people that for sure have that as their aspiration. Oh, absolutely. And it changed, mm-hmm. like you said, it changed what people thought was possible. Like Jimi Hendrix blues. You guys listen to that album. It, it was released posthumously, um, but it's just a collection of blues songs they did. That's still one of my favorite albums. His so when he does like takes on the blues just in general, not just being um, inventive. Mm. He's his his soulfulness soulfulness in his playing is off the charts too. Mm. I I think it's specifically his voice that puts him above Cream. Yeah. I mean the Andy's just a more exciting guitar player than Clapton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, they don't got nothing on his voice. Yeah. No, I love his voice, but yeah, he hated it. That's great, weird. Great pick. He's got a great voice. But it, it was a tough, <clears throat> tough one for me because "Sunshine of Your Love," uh, the groove on that, the, that riff, it's so. And so C- thick. Cream's an important group in general. Just the yeah, the whole combination of of Baker, Clapton, and Jack Bruce. Um, that's a, a kind of a murderer's row of yeah. musicians. Yep. Uh oh, we're wearing Jordan out. I know. Hey, we're we're on the uh, the home stretch. Right, I've I only got, got two more. I got four more. <laughs> Are you serious? I'll go fast. So you went late. You did all the talking I know. first. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> um, I'll go fast. I'll go fast. 1968. Uh, this one's very genre specific. I debated. I went back and forth. Almost didn't include it. I love the guy's voice. The song is super cool. It launched a genre that became important, um, and weirdly. Um, inspired the Beatles. The Beatles even name check him in a song. We'll pop quiz you guys see if you can name the song that they name check him in. Um, it's a song called Israelites by Desmond Decker. Um, one of the kind of first really reggae songs that kind of kicked off okay. the the ska reggae movement. Um, Desmond Decker is is kind of one of the the forefathers of reggae and so you can hear the guitar the syncopation the sound Get up in the morning slaving for bread sir so that every mouth can be fed for me Israelites Get up in the morning slaving for bread sir so that every mouth can is it so is this the desmond they're talking about in obladi Oblada? yep that's okay. the one that's where they this guy knew that's what yep. so they name checked him so they were that was mccartney's attempt at trying to capture the so reggae had this weird influence in dance music in in england after desmond decker um and the Israelites started, kind of started the genre. And so McCartney was inspired by it, and Obladi Obladi was his kind of attempt to capture the, the reggae syncopation. Hmm. And so he name checks Desmond in it as, mm-hmm. as homage to him. But this is where it started. But when you listen to the guitars in the background and the beat and the rhythm, 
very unique. We wouldn't have Bob Marley if it wasn't for mm -hmm. this. But he does it really good. Was that reggae feel on a song before this, or is this the first song? This is one of the first, I one think, of the first recorded ones. Yeah. So you have. Um, I'm trying to think who would the like the Ethiopians is an, another okay. group was, from kind of the same era. Was this guy that's where was he from? Was he from Jamaica? Or yeah. Where was he from? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm I think I believe. Interesting. I'm, yeah, it's cool stuff. Never heard of it. Never heard of him. Yeah. Check out. Um, this is Jason going deep on us. Yeah, you got to um, crossing over. Check out move. early Desmond Decker and early Ethiopians are both kind of that. It's called Rocksteady Ska, um, kind of the what created reggae. But it's really cool just from a beat standpoint. It's 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 unique. Awesome. But Very this nice. one's cool because it's it's like a prayer. It's got the that gospel. The even the the backing vocals is kind of traditional gospel. So right. Um, all right, there's my 68. And then I've got three 69s left. Okay. So you're done. I'm done. How, what do you have left? Uh, I've got two 69s, yeah. So you're up. Okay. We'll just go. We'll just trade them. Well, we're, we had Hendrix last time, and let's take the logical next step. Led Zeppelin. Question is, which song? They had two albums in 1969. They did. So I've got. I switched mine at the last minute. I have. Um, I have a a, a Led Zeppelin. Let's combine our Zeppelins. Um, I'm, maybe we have the same one. We, so I had a whole lot of love, and I took it off. I don't have a whole lot of love anymore on there. Well, uh, I'm just. I'm just going to play mine. Okay. You can be pleasantly surprised. This is mine. It's got to be. I only heard one note. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, Dazed and Confused, Led Zeppelin. Uh, like with other songs, I chose this because this is the one that Led Zeppelin really brought something new, I thought. Yeah. I mean, that, that opening bass thing, but then all the changes to this song that, that come in, and the Bonham's drum fills in there, and this raging guitar solo. Pure sexual energy, pure misogyny, pure like everything that kind of Zeppelin Stood represented for. <laughs> in the 70s. Yeah. So when I was in high school, I did a, I, in ninth grade, I had to do a book report and I did a. Hammer of the Gods? I did a Hammer of the Gods. Oh no. I did a Peter Grant's Hammer of the Gods. You're so like, whoa. I'm, I'm a dad now. Have you read Hammer of the Gods? Uh, I haven't actually read it. Have, I just, have you read it? I just know. So their tour manager. I know about some of their antics. And he shares all their stories and they are awful. So I'm reading it as a ninth grader, just like wide eyed. And that was what mm -hmm. my book report was on um they were as rock and roll as a band could be they were awful awful human beings um they i mean they, they were having fun maxed out Sex, their, drugs their life and they're probably miserable at some of the time too oh yeah um but they put yeah, out I believe, this song miserable. is just so cool and i love this song because anybody that's ever been in a band if you were like a traditional rock band, there's a 90% chance at one point that you just jammed on this classic riff. Like mm -hmm. it's any band can get together and mm -hmm. say, we're just going to jam on Days and Confuse and see what comes out of it. It's a classic blues riff, but so good. Yeah, I mean, he's, I hate that he does it, but he's still Jimmy Page experimenting. Like he uses a bow on his, like a violin bow at one point mm -hmm. on his, during his guitar solo. Kind of cheesy, but, um, but it's him. Hey, just at the doing time, it. why not? Yeah. 
Just because Spinal Tap does it later. <laughs> Again, once you become a parody of the yeah. thing that you're, you're helping create. There's Is this the where bow. the bow is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, uh, for me, it was a toss-up between Good Times, Bad Times, and this one. So you didn't just even look at Led Zeppelin 2. You were just sticking with Led Zeppelin 1. Yeah. Because that, that one, like, first track, first album, and just right out of the gate, it's like, bah, bah, is you it, know, those I opening think chords. Is it 10 tracks on Led Zeppelin 1? I don't it, know. I did the math once, like, on all their songs. Like, they, they rarely missed when they took a shot on something, and... Mm-hmm. Their first album, like that lineup of songs, every one of them is iconic and I think known. Like, I don't even know if there's like a real deep track on that album. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's crazy to think that's what those guys put out as their first foray into <laughs> into music. Mm-hmm. Amazing stuff. You can. I mean, a lot of these songs that we play, some of them will be like, "Oh, this is the perfection of what came before," and then some of it will be like this. It's like this is something totally new. Yeah. This is something totally different. No one's doing this. And now here it's about to yeah. explode. This is where it just turns into pure chaos, which I love. <laughs> and then Paige comes in and melts your face. So you're a kid in the late 60s and you've been listening to like Simon and Garfunkel and this <laughs> album comes out. I'm going to check out this new Led Zeppelin group where you put on and you hear this. You got to imagine like it, <laughs> your people's faces might have literally melted. <laughs> have you, you're a bass player. Have you tried to play this riff? Yeah. Can you, can you do this part of the song? Yeah, the bass isn't super complex. It's I know just it's repetitive, fast. and it's this, this same thing. So the hardest part—I just can't do it. The hardest I can, part—I can do it like right. two times through, the and then my fingers are done. The hardest part is sustaining the the speed and keeping the keeping the timing up because yeah. it's to like, play this riff like for two minutes. Long. Yeah. So 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 um, yeah. Me me and Mike Benson used to. This was like one yeah. of our our favorite riffs because just the two of us could could jam on it together so mm-hmm. we'd hook up in one of our basements and just try it so there was a time where i could do pretty good but you always lose track at some point mm-hmm. and have to try to recalibrate yourself mm-hmm. but then so that part right there where it comes out of it yeah. is so fun because it's this build up and then it's just boom. and then right here bonds are going crazy oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, there's just so, so many riddle, parts of this song that you got to play what, along with. What Beatles song has ever made you react like that? Like this? Yeah. Uh, oh, you're ecstatic. You're like none, a little kid. None like that. <clears throat> no, oh, like sure that. there are. Sure there are. What one? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, in a slightly different way. They don't yeah. have anything that's like this heavy. But they, I think they started it with Helter Skelter. Like you're that? telling me you have I a similar I, reaction to Helter Skelter that you had, you just had there today's cute. That was raw. That was organic. <laughs> that was real. You you transformed into a 14 year old. Okay, <laughs> well, when we do our Beatles episode, we're gonna get some of that. I think we can't wait. I think I, we've talked enough about what the year, Beatles. What year is this? 69. Six. They put out two albums in 69. Put out one and two, which are both 
ridiculous. So far ahead of what was going this on. This is way ahead of anything else. But you're, you're saying Helter Skelter was. I think I think Helter Skelter is the first metal song. A bit. But this is probably the first metal album. The birth, the dawn of metal. So you had this, and then Hen- in 70, Hendrix was leading up to it. You, you had this in seven, and this, and then in seventy, you have Black Sabbath, Sabbath's self-titled album, which people sleep on a little bit. It it was darker and harder than this. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 I think contributed as much to to metal as as this did. Um, but yeah, anyway, great, great pick. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Zeppelin, not. At least in my book, not known for their lyrical content. Like, yeah, agree. The their lyrics go from terrible to serviceable. Me, like me that's <laughs> that's as far as they, as far as they go. Um, but the voice, Robert Plant. I mean, yeah. that the voice, voice, the music, Here, the energy. Here's what I didn't realize. Like, you, you can you can cut this part out, but uh, Zeppelin for the lyrics is comparable to Playboy for the articles. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. I love those Playboy articles. <laughs> that's, that, that's where you need to come back in. <laughs> but uh, have you heard Robert Plant's album with... Um, Alison Krauss? Yes. Yeah. What's it called? Uh, something... Sand. Something Sand? Yeah, I can't remember. I I didn't know until I heard that album, because this is just like, what, 10 years ago or something? Yeah. Uh, I didn't know what a beautiful voice he had yeah he does he like has really in that that album a lot of really soft stuff a lot of delicate harmonies i'm like whoa where did this voice come from mm-hmm. i know he can't hit all the led zeppelin high notes anymore um but you know in in this one all the led zeppelin stuff more of a blues singer really belting yeah. out stuff so it was fun hearing another side of it. Yeah, he he was definitely like fulfilling a persona in in Zeppelin and just maxing it out, keeping it to eleven all the time. Mm-hmm. So you want me to go two? All right. Yeah. Uh, first one. This was the one I debated the most on. It was on, then it was off, then it was on, then it was off. And every time I listened to it when it was off, um, still had those goosebump moments. It's not the most representative of this group, and it's not. It's not giving us anything that I don't already have from like a Dylan in in this list, but it's a really really important group. Um, Velvet Underground, Pale Blue Eyes. Mm-hmm. I love this song. It's a classic Lou Reed fractured love song. Like you get this twist kind of at the end um, where you're really wondering, it, kind of questioning the whole love story in general. Um, just a great song. I, I love this song. Pale Blue. Pale Blue Eyes. Sometimes I feel so happy. Sometimes I feel so sad. Sometimes I feel so happy. But mostly you just make me mad Baby, you just make me mad I think I had three of their songs, or two, on, on my honorable mention, and yeah. I kept bringing one on to my top ten yeah. and taking it off. And I didn't have this one, which I love this one. They had that many in the 60s? Yeah, yeah they, they had, had, they had a three albums a in the 60s. Wow. Um, 
and kind of the famous thing on this like they didn't sell a ton of albums the mm-hmm. the statement on it is like they didn't sell a ton of albums but everybody that bought a velvet underground album ended up forming a band um they they kind of became i think synonymous with like inspiring other musicians yeah. they hear it and they're like i can do this it's, they can make it i can make simple. it <laughs> well when, when i was the opposite of Jimi hendrix yeah. right <laughs> when i was listening to their stuff and like oh my gosh i love this one i love it and one i was amazed that this was 1960s i thought yeah. they, these were all 70s mm-hmm. their stuff and then i was like oh this was 60s so i felt like they were ahead not it wasn't like the yeah so velvet underground powers. 60s lou reed solo 70s right the aesthetic though that they're like some of their stuff you can hear the direct like the indie kind of alt like where whether it's the bell and sebastian type stuff or yeah the, or the elliot smith you can hear this direct line of like kind of tender sounding music that has a darkness and an edge to always it. has a dark side yeah. that and that's kind of classic lou reed mm-hmm. kind of pull you in i love on this one the guitar is slightly out of tune with his voice which is just kind of archetypal Lou Reed. He was mm-hmm. again wasn't the greatest singer, but he could write a dang song. Apparently. All right, you ready for my next one? <laughs> my next, my next sixty nine. Um, this one again, probably kind of cliche for the era. I love this song. I made a list once of so one time a friend of mine and I had a, a challenge where we each created a list of our desert island ten. If we were stuck on a desert island for like two years, mm-hmm. could only listen to ten songs. What ones would we bring with us? And then the challenge was we forced ourselves to only listen to that playlist for like two weeks mm-hmm. to see if at the end we would still pick those 10 to see if they're actual desert oh, island wow. songs that's, in, that's so this commitment. next song was one of my desert island 10 um and i never got tired of it i still do it's still absolutely a goosebump song for me i love these guys i've only grown to love them more as i've gotten older uh rolling stones give me shelter mm. um good pick the so this one is another it's a pretty dark song and it's the whole package this isn't necessarily like the most representative also stones martin scorsese's favorite but i was gonna say like you can't separate this from casino you can't separate this Mm -hmm. from kind of scorsese in general um my favorite thing about this actually isn't even part of the rolling stones so the the backing vocals the woman does the backing vocals her name's mary clayton did either you guys see 20 feet from stardom Mm -hmm. so she talks about recording this in there and so she was she got called up in the middle of the night she's pregnant she's got curlers on she comes in and they're giving her the script we need you to sing rape murder it's just Mm -hmm. a shot away and she's Mm -hmm. like what she decides she's gonna sing it for him and her backing vocals on this make it this Mm -hmm. thing so much bigger than what it is powerful emotional um, and somehow her voice with Mick Jagger's is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. It, it's a and it's a really cool, like visceral, um, just kind of powerful imagery. So I love this song. Let's hear it. So get the beginning.
So, so far it seems just a Rolling Stone song. It's a Mick Jagger song right yeah. now. And then this is her voice. So you hear, so up to the first half, she's just in the background. And they're talking, war's just shot away, mm-hmm. war's just shot away. And then jump to about the two-minute mark. Okay. And there's, like, you can find on the internet an isolation of her vocals. They are. Is this them that we recorded in Muscle Shoals? Because they came in and recorded down uh, there. I don't know if this was Muscle Shoals or not. Didn't they record an album down there? Possibly. I feel like they recorded so, yeah. one down there. So, just here go from go. here. Stand up on her. So she steals the song right here. Mm-hmm. She's like, This is not your song anymore, Mick yeah. Jagger. This is my song. But then they finish out together. Love is just a kiss away. It's just a kiss away. It's this perfect wrap up. It's such a good song. this with you but I've already let the world know this was my song and they ended together and it, like one of the underrated things about Mick Jagger is he was really good at understanding kind of the rhythms from soul music and R&B music and his voice works really well with kind of traditional R&B singers um, they, it, in a weird way the Rolling Stones are kind of an R&B band doing like garage blues mm-hmm. but I just I love that song I it's it a great gives great me goosebumps pick. still every time that was solid. Yep. That that, was uh, solid. that one barely got pumped down to the the honorable mentions for me. That was in my honorable mention, and I think uh, I agree. I think it belongs. Okay, so my my last pick to close out the 1960s. I think this one <coughs> is a good one to lead us into the 1970s. Although this did come out in late 1969. Uh, this is I Want You Back from the Jackson 5. So oh. my honorable mention. This kind of bass line. Love this stuff. And that young Michael Jackson's voice. There's nothing like that. He's so good. Yeah. He, he always had a great voice, but I, I got a soft spot for this. Yeah. And the brothers have nice voices, too. You can't not have a smile on your face and bob your head along to this one. Yeah, this one was on my honorable mentions. Um, I figured I had already put enough R&B and soul on there, um, but it's another absolutely great song. Excellent song. That are we going to go to underrated, overrated, all that right now? So we have a couple things left unset. We have yeah. our honorable mentions that are going to be enormous list. Do we want to yeah. mention those on air at all? 
Uh, I think can can we long. narrow it down to some of them we have mentioned? Should we each mention five more honorable mentions that we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, five okay. and keep it under ninety seconds. Okay. Who's going? I'll go first. Okay. Right? But but this one's an honorable mention that I I would put to my top ten because I had it on my top ten and I th- but I had counted at eleven anyway. The Kinks, nineteen sixty four, all day and all the night. The guitar sound in that when you hear the distortion, when you hear the guitar solo. That is so ahead of its time. So punk, so like raw. It's amazing. So the Kinks is one of mine. Um, another one. I'm not going to list the ones that were already done. Yeah. But like I had the Jackson Five and a few of those. But another honorable mention for me was uh, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Mm-hmm. Marvin Gaye and who's the other uh, woman? Uh, Tammy something. I can't remember her other name. Um, the Zombies, Time of the Season, The Meters, Sissy Strut. Um, hey Jude by the Beatles, uh, and then I had that uh, the one I shared from the Velvet Underground After Hours. How many is that? Is that four? Or is that five? Five, I think. I think it was five. So that's that's my. I, there's more. I sleep, brother. I, I'm not okay. I'll stop. Okay, we're just doing five. <laughs> um, I'll just let's see. I'll highlight five real quick. Um, uh, Ray Charles, you don't know me from Modern Sounds and Country Western Music. Um, the Kinks, you really got me. Uh, similar to what Jordan said, kind of the beginning of like the 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 punk guitar aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam and Dave, hold on, I'm coming. I absolutely love that song. MC Five, kick out the jams, which weirdly was a '60s song. That's a interesting group they didn't do a ton but they put out one really important album that um i think inspired a lot and then uh the meters sissy strut mm. put that one as well they're, they're the meters are my favorite band of all time mm. uh so I, I like i can spend more time with them than just about anybody they're so good uh so but they but again like i don't listen to sissy strut and get goosebumps and say this needs to be on my top yeah. 10 but for me personally right love them brandon okay yeah, mo- most of mine I, I mentioned at some point during the t- discussion, but a few others. Uh, and one of them I'm going to save for my underrated hidden gem. Uh, but I've got You'll Never Walk Alone, Jerry and the Pacemakers, You Can't Hurry Love, The Supremes, My Generation, The Who, uh, Fortunate Son, Creedence Clearwater, mm. Waterloo Sunset from The Kinks, I think this is one that I hadn't heard before of them. Like I know the the other ones that are they're they're bigger hits, but this one is a really dynamite song. Uh Sweet Caroline, Neil Diamond. Is that sixties? Sixty nine. And you want to preserve that? It's an honorable mention. <laughs> it's a great song. Which song was it? Sweet Caroline. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that a, a bum, flush for bum, you? Bum. Mothers-in-law are important, too. <laughs> <laughs> I have one of the best mother mothers-in-law of all time, and she's a huge Neil Diamond fan, and she would thank you. And grandparents. And grandparents. Grandparents are important. This one's for Grandpa Arnold. <laughs> uh, well, since you put it that way, I'm gonna, uh, I can't be a jerk yeah. to Grandpa Arnold. <laughs> Maybe, maybe after Grandpa Arnold listens to the, all right, let's to let's the go to, let's go to our changes picks. Most overrated, most underrated, and then our champion. Let's start with most overrated and most underrated, and we'll say both, right? And then we'll okay. do after that. We'll do champion. So, because my overrated and underrated goes together, 
I'm going to start with it's my the most. Same. No, uh, it could, I can see how someone could go there, but my most underrated I'm going to say is The Kinks, partially because I was listening and I was like, "What? This is amazing! Why don't I listen to this more? And why mm-hmm. aren't? Why don't people credit Nirvana? You know, why don't people talk about The Kinks more and The Beatles a little bit less, or mm-hmm. why, or Rolling Stones a little bit less? You know, like these other bands get so much credit. Anyway, The Kinks and if you could play just the first of All Day and All the Night, mm-hmm. because my most overrated is The Doors. In 1968's Hello, I Love You, the Kinks mm-hmm. were going to sue because it's such a ripoff from the beginning of the, mm. of the Kinks. So, but this is 1964, the Kinks, All Day and All of the Night. This guitar is 1964. And you hear this, Hello, I Love You. Yeah. The Doors totally ripped him off. The Kinks were gonna sue, but they ended up not doing it. If you fast fast forward to the guitar solo, because you'll hear like a guitar solo that you're like, I can't believe this is 1964. Same year of the hard It's, it's like a Neil Young guitar solo. It's like a crappy Sloppy. punk guitar. It's like a yeah. punk aesthetic is here. This between this and the Velvet Underground. Yeah, this, this is like punk music is just is directly connected yeah. back to this. Anyway, I I think they're my most underrated, and then Doors are my most overrated. So, and and it's um, not just because of they ripped off the song. I've just never. The Doors have never done it for me. I've always been bored by them. I've the organ was too high in the mix and and too corny or something. I don't know. I just haven't ever. Well, bef- before we move on to the Doors, I want to also play this one from the Kinks. Okay. Because as as far as uh, underrated bands, this was the, the same one I thought of. Like as I'm listening, building this list, I'm like, I need to listen more Kinks. Yeah. And I knew that song already, but this one I didn't know. <clears throat> And this really solidified it for me that they've got something special going. This is Waterloo Sunset. Yeah, it's so good. Just that part, I yeah, I expect it's going to be Dick my generation too. coming in. Yeah, like it sounds like the beginning of my generation, but. So my hot take, and this is part of why I feel the way I do about the Beatles, I, I feel like the Kinks were as good as songwriters as, as the Beatles, yeah. and as maybe groundbreaking. I'm listening to some of this stuff, and I'm like, that that's those songs from 1964 sounded ahead of Hard Day's Night, in terms of rock and I th- roll. I think they compare pretty well to the early Beatles stuff. I don't know go, anything of the so Kinks that listen, compares go to. Go listen to like Lola and uh, what's it called, Lola and the. Power. Lola sounds like L- Lola and the Money Go Round. Yeah, that's a that album. I think can go punch for punch with Sgt. Pepper's. All right. No. It's a concept and album. So it's a weird, loose concept album with like quirky kinks writing. I think it could go punch for punch with. Look at these harmonies in here. It's good. Yeah. Underrated. Totally underrated. And I'm gonna listen. I love to, that really I'm, I'm high gonna listen stuff. to more of them and more of Dylan. 
That's those, those are two of the big takeaways for me. And all, also, the Doors came to mind to me as a as overrated. Like I, I did really like them in high school, but almost never listen to them now. There's a, a few songs that still really do it for me. Uh, Break on through, light my fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but others like Rise on the Storm, L.A. Woman, they're just too long. Yeah, too long. Well, my favorite Doors song is Peace and Frog, but yeah, Peace Frog's know. awesome. Too yeah. kind of dramatic or something. And, where you're kind and of like, Jim Morrison is such a douche. Yeah, <laughs> I just right. cannot stand him. <laughs> it sounds like it seems like the kind so of guy who would be like, like, oh, I'll get chicks the, this way. What's his nickname? Lizard King or something? Yeah, the Lizard King. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Amer- isn't there some like book i picture like that picture of him with his arms out and like his shirt the, off the and christ pose, like yeah. american poet or something and i'm like jim morrison like no <laughs> this is the end he had a moment i mean he obviously he had an impact but i feel the same way i think he may he that may be a case where his message spoke i think it, his message may probably speaks more specifically to adolescent angst than it does to like a, a lifetime of of just life and experience mm-hmm. which probably explains why you listen to him more as a teenager than you do now yeah mm-hmm. uh but i did decide for my my most overrated i'm going with rolling stones mm. yeah because i wanted some fireworks from jason that's why <laughs> tell me why make your case what's overrated about him uh Boyd K. Packer said so. <laughs> I'm not. I'm Gene not, R. Cook. I'm not invoking either of them in this podcast. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, for for me, first of all, I'm skeptical about any band that has a lead singer that doesn't play an instrument. Mm. I, I like think wires. Robert Robert Plant has an excuse because he's doing so much with his voice. I was say, how do you tolerate Zeppelin then? Yeah, because uh, like what he's doing, I. Okay, he's 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 working that voice, uh, with uh, what's the Rolling Stone singer's name? Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger don't, might be don't his name. Patronize <laughs> might be his name. Me. <laughs> what's that guy's name again? Like why why can't he play guitar while he's doing this? He he just seems obsolete up there. Um, and that's your main reason? No, it, my main reason is they uh, the I I hear this argument framed a lot like. Beatles versus Rolling Stones, who's better? Mm. Like for me it's no contest, but that Rolling Stones would even have a chance in that, that yeah. signals overratedness to me. Like it's no question. Like okay. they're nowhere they're nowhere close. And mostly because I've they've got some great songs. I love Gimme Shelter. If that if that uh lady was their lead singer for all their songs, oh man. <laughs> I'd be listening to them all day long. If it was Mary Clayton and the yes. Rolling Stones. Yes. How great would that band be? Doing all the same stuff, but it was her, her voice all the time. That would be amazing. Um, but it, it's more like a, like I mentioned earlier. The they seem to be more just trying to push buttons, and they're not they're not bringing much. <laughs> I'll admit, I I have I'm, I don't know much about them. I haven't listened to many other albums straight through but from so what i have, I have from I have what i have theory. heard i've been around a long time and there's nothing that i've heard that i'm like i really need to get in the rolling stones so I, I invented this theory of how you distinguish between like um greatness and just really good within music and it's based on albums and so the theory and i've tested it over and over and it's i feel like it's pretty solid so the benchmark is to cross the threshold of three great albums 
So if you can get to the point where you've put out four like great all-time great transcendent albums, at that point I think you're officially a great album. This is my big problem with U2. I don't think they put out four like all-time have to have great albums. Um, just in the six, late 60s to the early 70s alone, the Rolling Stones had a run of Beggar's Banquet, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, and Exile on Main Street, which are all all-time albums. Like, they are... If you haven't listened to them, like, go through just that section of their discography. Um, they, they wrote great songs. They performed the heck out of it. They blended genres. They, they did push buttons, but... That's what rock music is for. That's what Elvis Presley was pushing buttons. Chuck Berry was pushing buttons. The Beatles were pushing buttons. Um, and maybe the Beatles didn't push buttons enough. Maybe that's why they pissed me off a little bit. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm not going to stand here and let you say that the Rolling Stones <laughs> are, are overrated. Uh, overrated. <laughs> um, now, since we're talking about let's it, move, I've got, let's, I've got, let's move on to your I've underrated. Got an overrated. <laughs> let's hear about your underrated and overrated. Um, no, wait, wait, you know what's, what? so what's the, the album that you're not mentioning? That's somewhere in between there. Get your yaya's out. Still a great album. Is, they have an album called that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> no, <laughs> her majesty uh, on oh, his so the, satanic service or something. Their, their satanic majesty's request, which is the album yeah. right before Let It Bleed or right before Beggar's Banquet, which is still a cool. She's a rainbow is on that album. Hey, She's you, a, you wrote a song called Cheeseburger, Cheeseburger, Cheeseburger Satan. It was have called you Cheeseburger. Listened, have right. you? Okay, <laughs> you, I know you'll know this song. Listen. <laughs> Go ahead and cue up She's a Rainbow by the Rolling Stones. Okay. I know you'll know this song. This is on uh, their Satanic Majesty's Request. So this was their attempt at a psych album. Uh-huh. Um, weird album. Not great, but actually way above average. All right, now, let's clear because whoever's played the game will tell you how to do it. Now, they've only got to do it. Like this song could easily fit within like, the Beatles song. This, this is a good song. Take what you like. We'll win a been using satanic and stuff like that in the same so way you were using I, it in I Gorgon. Think, I think, think so? Yeah, so, they might have been. So Mick Jagger was overt. Just to be funny. Mick Jagger was yeah. overtly sexual. Like, the way he danced, he he was like a willing participant in mm-hmm. that. And I think they became a little bit a caricature of themselves. Because I had the same thing. Weirdly, they've grown on me. I, I hardly, like, I dug deep into classic rock as a teenager. Um, and... They, I didn't listen to them a ton. Like they didn't do it for me then. As I've gotten older, I listen to to much more of them. Like Dead Flowers, the Towns Van Zant remade. You know the song at the end of the Big Lebowski, that live mm-hmm. version of Towns mm-hmm. Van Zant doing Dead Flowers. That's a Rolling Stones song, and the Rolling Stones version is freaking awesome too. I need to listen to more. My my older brother Josh loves the Beatles, and he loves the Rolling Stones. And guess who else he loves? Bob Dylan. All three. 
Who, who wouldn't? His brother Josh sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to be listening to this and he's like, what are they talking about? I know <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure I lost all credibility with... Uh, well, just wait. Everybody. Speaking of losing credibility, <laughs> just wait. All right, let's hear it. Overrated, underrated. Let's hear it. So I'll make up for it. I'm throwing out. I'm throwing out the Beatles is the most overrated. Okay, mm-hmm. tell us about it. Wait, you know what? Maybe you I'm, I'm going to evoke science. Um, <laughs> I told you. I'm going to yeah. reference... I already felt this way, but I f- but but now the scientists agree with I me. I found an article on BuzzFeed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was taking a quiz to see which Tolkien character I'd be on BuzzFeed, and uh, it referenced. No, this came f- this came from the University of London, Imperial College of London. Hmm. Um, they did. Uh, Is that the the safety school for kids that yeah can't make it yeah. into? Uh huh. Uh huh. This guy. <laughs> Researchers used the tools of evolutionary biology to analyze the musical characteristics of 17,900 songs released between 1960 and 2010 to determine development uh, of sounds and genres progressed. They found that sounds and genres progressed at a fairly even pace, save for three distinct periods of rapid growth. So they're looking at influence of eras and then specifically influence uh, of types of music. First big Boom in progress and influence different sounds than you'd ever heard before. 64, British Invasion. Second one, 83, kind of new wave and disco. And then the third one was 91, the rise of hip hop. Uh, but what they found as they dug into it was that the influence of hip hop has extended far beyond from a breadth and depth standpoint as far as creating new sounds, new styles than what the Beatles did. It surprised the researchers because they're actually baby boomers and love the Beatles they would have guessed it was 64 uh, but it wasn't here's the kicker looking closely at the 60s the study also found that the Beatles arrival in the US might not be as dramatic of a moment in rock history as they make it out to be according to their analysis Whoa. evolutionary trajectories of classic rock were all established before 64 implying that the Beatles the British may not have contributed to this revolution as much as they thought they did um, but at least they weren't entirely responsible for it. So science has backed me up. Like they, they did great stuff, and I've already given full credit to uh, the to to the Beatles. Good stuff. Um, in um, what was the name of the song that I picked? Day in the Life. Day in the Life. That's the one. It sounds like you're you 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 want to house the Beatles in. Yeah, the the British rock and roll has a lot to offer, and they, and Beatles are a part of that, a big part of that. So. Correct. Music today, as far as like... You hate the British. (laughs) (laughs) They're fine. Come on, I picked the Rolling Stones. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, no, they're super important, incredible crass people. I don't know what it is. Like I said, they just... I don't listen to the Beatles and say this... I don't don't think you're wrong wrong necessarily because... But they're cultural influence. It's commercial music. It's mom music. It's everything. Like, it became too much. Right. I think anytime you have someone who's so on the top, they definitely can't be under... Like, you, no one would say Michael Jordan's the most underrated basketball player of all time. And so, no one would say the Beatles are underrated. And so, automatically, it puts them more in the discussion of... That's why you could have someone be um, the best of all time and still be overrated. Right. You have to be considered really good to be overrated. So. Well, and I would agree I'm to a point... I'm just trying to bring them down to reality yeah. a little bit. They're good. <laughs> They're important. <laughs> I know less about the... Brandon knows more about the Beatles. I know less, and even than my wife. And I have that similar thing of... I don't listen... To, I've just 
tried to listen to them the last couple of years more because I had my favorites from different time periods, but I would never like really go seek them out that often. Um, right now, this study on, is on interesting. A, I don't really know what it means. But on a regular week of music, if you listen to a hundred songs on a mm-hmm. typical week, how many of those songs are Beatles songs? Not well. A few months ago, I listened to some of their. I was going through their earlier stuff because so you, like, you were intentionally to. seeking. I was them intentionally out. seeking out. But if I you're just listening to what yeah. you like, no. an average week in the week of no. Jordan, you listen to a hundred songs. How many are Beatles songs? N- none. Uh, however, that, I'm not the best gauge for that because I I just if you prove you my know. point, then you're the best yeah. gauge for that. Yeah, for okay. me. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> no, how, how is that? How is that the question though? How's that? Well, no, I'm just curious if he's re- if he's somewhat representative of a common a common music listener. Like uh, how? I think, no, I don't know I, if I. I, guess, I think if we're talking about in the '60s, right? Yeah. How out of those hundred songs, how many are from the '60s? Right. Yeah. If you're if you were talking to someone who lived in the '60s and you were asking them how much do the Beatles, but I think you? I think if we did a general poll of the population yeah. and said. What uh, what band do you listen to from the sixties? Beatles or or just say in the top in the hundred songs that you listen to, and then just looked, and I think any of them that are from the sixties, Beatles are going to be at the top. Would you be- would you agree they belong in the top groups of the sixties, the top ten? Yes, I mean you added a song. I would. I would. They're I also going to be your champ of the sixties. I don't, I don't think you have to... See? <laughs> <laughs> now you're just pushing buttons. You say you hate people that just push buttons. That's it. I, no, I, I bring it up on yeah. this. <laughs> I, I appreciate you, you bringing forward this argument, Jason. It's cute. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's good to have a, a contrarian, a, a chance to uh, yet again justify why they are the, the greatest band of all time. Why are they the greatest? But didn't you hear about the biological evolution? I'm of sending the you guys sa- the link. Of sound? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sending you guys the link. Scientists agree I'm interested. With me. I want to I see what it is. If, if that, link, if that link could also say that there was one hip-hop artist that was the, the pinnacle. But yeah, I, I believe that as a genre, sure, hip-hop has a, a huge influence. Um, but to have the amount of talent in one band... And to accomplish everything that they did in seven years. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so, I I do not think Beatles are overrated. I think they are appropriately, appropriately rated, rated as the best band of all time. <laughs> what makes Here's, them the best? Uh, they, they're the ones... There there's, there's few artists that I think fit, fit this category of being both the best at what they do and the most popular at the same time uh there's so what were you they, usually what were they the best at? they don't match. like the best at what they do so br- songwriting specifically okay i'll give you songwriting um innovation i don't think they were yeah. the best we I think even people, talked about it in the, in the song people, that we I think mentioned there have been people that have been equally innovative probably but, but to the but to the extent and the popular. variety that they did, that weren't as popular, like innovative in so many different ways. Well, I, I think what part were their, of your what were their innovations? Okay, so Day of the Life, the song we played, being able to work all that stuff, that complexity, the orchestral, all that stuff. Um, you said they ushered in metal. Ushered in metal, 
That's they, uh, <laughs> Jason's like they, they uh, metal, psychedelic. They might not they have had the first reggae, the distorted guitar, hip-hop. but I'm, just, <laughs> I'm trying to see. If I can get it. <laughs> they were the they were they they brought ska up from. No. So I agree. They are in they, my top They could ten. do almost any genre of music. Like they've got hit songs covering all genres. They could do uh, dance tunes. They could do ballads. Uh, they could do hard rocking songs. Do, they could do downers. Do we, do we want dance tunes and ballads? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's a nice. You're that's you're just proving my point more. Otis Redding. <laughs> the the only argument that someone can have against the Beatles is that you personally don't like them as much as other well, people. Well, I think something you said earlier. You said you don't. You tend to not like popular stuff. You like your stuff underground. I think the that's one of the things that the Beatles is is they are they're popular and innovative, but yeah. they're so popular that it's almost like, hey, come everyone, enjoy us. They were willing see, participants in their popularity, which is yeah. I get like, which annoys you. It does. It irritates yeah. me and it's an unfair But at the same time they also to. tried to subvert that. They like did. at the height of their popularity, they're like, forget this, we're not touring anymore. We can't even hear ourselves play because the girls won't stop screaming. Mm-hmm. Let's go into the studio and do something that nobody's done yeah. before. Let's make an album that we couldn't perform live. Mm-hmm. Let's start recording things backwards. Let's start using all these other effects. Right. Uh, but I think that's part of your argument is that so some you people like, hear my argument and they and think I'm saying that the Beatles suck. My argument is not that the Beatles suck. My argument is that the Beatles I, are given far too much credit. Your argument is you don't like stuff that's too popular. Uh, that could be too. I think that's part of it. <laughs> Which I think that's fair. That means that, like that's, that's a fair reason to not like the Beatles or think that they're overrated beyond, say, general public. Yeah, they're great. Go go love the Beatles. Okay, people. let's talk about so. let's talk about the champs of the decade. Oh, do you want my underrated? We got a yeah. We, let's hear your underrated. We'll and then we gotta be champs. super quick. Uh, underrated. I'm gonna give you two. One was actually um, uh, uh, how do you say his first name? And. Ennio Morricone. Morricone. Okay. Yeah. Um, underrated. My other one, Excellent. actually, I'm gonna go uh, Etta James. I agree mm. with the Kinks. Uh, I, I like. I probably, if we needed to come to a consensus, I would agree on the Kinks. Mm-hmm. Etta James was kind of in there. You've got Nina Simone. You've got um, Aretha Franklin. I think Etta James might actually have a better boy- voice than either of them. Mm. She made some awesome music somehow um she didn't have quite the cultural impact that like aretha did aretha was just a, a monolith um but people should listen to more etta james like yeah. dig through her stuff it's so, so i'll good. have to yeah. check her out some more i can buy I that just know the the most famous let's let's wrap this up and then let's talk for another two hours about the, more music okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's wrap it up who wants to wrap it up Are you party of thoughts Jason? no I, I think it should be brandon all right, Brandon, wrap us up. Uh, I don't know what to what to say about it. I'll say it. This has been... Get closer to the mic. This has been a rousing discussion of 1960s music, our, our favorite. We're going to probably have up on the website a some sort of Spotify playlist or something where you can listen. And some, some kind of, of listener's tunes. poll where you can choose out of our nominees... What would be on your what, top, maybe, top maybe an 10. additional poll of which one of the three of us, the listeners, hate the most? Yeah. <laughs> Based on our unfavorable opinion uh-huh. about the music that they like. Jordan, Jordan's the peacemaker. He's not gonna. He's not gonna win the most hated poll. Well, I might. I don't know. Um, Just depends if people like the Beatles or the Rolling Stones more than. 
The funny thing is, the Rolling Stones are even my favorite. Jason That's doesn't want to die on that hill. He just well, wants no, to but, die on the but hill. But I'm the, the one that feels overrated. That uh, criticized them. You called them overrated. That's right. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. This has been Let the Music Be Your Master. Without a